Hi everyone, welcome to episode seven of the Allie on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and today I'm talking to Mega Doshi. Mega is the local marketing director for Strava, the social networking site for athletes, which is a big reason I wanted to have her on the show. I'm a big time and long time Strava user and lover, so I wanted to pick Mega's brain about what it's like to work at an innovative, forward-thinking, sweat-focused company. And watch out, Strava Human Resources. I'm pretty sure you're going to get about a billion resumes rolling through headquarters after this episode because according to Mega, working at Strava is the ultimate dream. Mega lives in San Francisco where she runs fast with the Impala Racing Team. She's a sub-three-hour marathoner and runs around 60 miles per week. She also works out with November Project, is a newly certified Pilates instructor, and I swear is just always on the move. Now comes the part of the intro where I ask you to please, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Alley on the Run show on iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. Let's make this thing huge. And coming next week, I'll have episodes dropping every Tuesday and Thursday. The Tuesday episodes will be shorter episodes, perfect for your commute, if you have a 10 to 15 minute commute, that is. And the Thursday episodes will be these hour-long conversational episodes with inspiring, motivating, fun, and funny guests. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the Alley on the Run show. Now enjoy my conversation with Mega. Well, thank you for doing this with me today. I'm excited because also I haven't talked to you in so long, so I'm excited to catch up. It's so good to see you. I know I haven't been to New York in a while. I've been following some of your runs and activities on Strava and Instagram, and I'm stoked that you're getting back into it. You've really kind of gotten back into your training. You and me both. Last (laughs) week was the first week I was traveling and I was in Utah, and I think it's good because for me, when I'm getting back from being sick or when I am sick and I'm running the same route every day, I'm so in my head about it. Like, where is the next bathroom? Where is the next bathroom? And to be in Utah where I never knew where the bathrooms were, it wasn't stressful because I was on trails, so I was outside. And it made me realize, like, I'm actually okay. I don't need all those bathrooms that I'm obsessed with here. Like, it was the first week that I finally felt like, oh, I think I'm better like mm-hmm. so yeah that's oh must have felt must have felt so good just you know your first few runs back and then you're like okay I'm over that hump you know and exactly there's nothing better than just feeling like oh my gosh like I'm back I, I like you, you get that adrenaline high that serotonin rush that just makes like the past six or eight months feel like it was okay and worth it as long as you've yeah. got that feeling back and it's nice to come back with no pressure. I guess I should clarify for anyone listening who um, might be new. I have Crohn's disease and it made me really, really sick. I was having a bad flare for a couple months and had to stop training for the New York City Marathon and it was a hard couple months and now I, I'm confident finally saying I'm back. I resisted saying it for a while, uh, but I am back. But today is not about me. Today is about you and... What I want to start by doing is we call this first section the warm-up because I'm cheesy and like to make everything running related. So in the warm-up, I put you in the spotlight right away, and I just want you to tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do. Sure. So my name is Mega Doshi. I live in San Francisco, California. I've lived here now for about two and a half years, and I am the local marketing director for North America at Strava, which is based here in San Francisco. Strava, many of you hopefully know what it is. For those of you who don't, it is the social network for athletes. So it's a platform and an uh, an app where a lot of runners, cyclists, swimmers, triathletes, athletes of all types 
um, track and share their workouts, and most importantly, really use Strava as a social network. So it's a great way to kind of see what your friends, teammates, coaches, other athletes are doing, um, share your workouts, um, and it becomes a great kind of hybrid of a training tool as well as a social platform. Yeah, I love Strava. From the minute I joined, I was totally hooked, and it's so easy to get hooked. So just like on, (laughs) if you're new to it, just like on any other social platform, like we'll compare it to Instagram, you follow other people, other athletes, and then when you log in and you're in your main feed, you see what all of your friends, instead of seeing, you know, just their Instagram photo, it's their workout and you can add photos to it, which I love. It shows the route where people ran or rode or swam, shows pace and distance and just like so much good data. And I know, Mega, I've told you this before that when Brian and I got married, because he's a cyclist and he was obsessed with Strava for years before I even really knew what it was. And in our wedding vows, I (laughs) promised him because we wrote our own vows. I was like, I promise to always at least pretend to be interested in your Strava data. And I think that was before (laughs) I was on Strava. And then I joined and now I'm like way more annoying than he is about it. Like all my, um, you know, you can compete for segments and PRs against yourself, against other people. It's, It's super fun and very integrated. So if you haven't signed up, I obviously encourage you to, um, I'm going to put it back on you here. Uh, tell me how you got started at Strava. How long have you been there? And tell us a little bit about what it means to be a local marketing director. Sure. Yeah. I started at Strava when I moved to San Francisco about well, almost two and a half years ago. Um, I've had the fortune of working in and around sports for you know eight or 10 years, which is just something I'm so grateful for being you know able to blend my passion and my profession. Um, but before Strava, I lived in Portland, Oregon, and actually worked at Nike um, on a lot of their Nike Plus technology. So it's a group called Digital Sport, and you know they had launched a lot of wearables and applications for runners, for um, like the Nike Training Club app, the Nike Plus Running app, the Nike Plus Fuel Band, and I just got really, really interested in the intersection between sport, um, the social space, and social motivation and technology. Um, and so I, I loved working at Nike, still, you know, love that company and a lot of the products they produce. Um, but after about, you know, four or five years, I was itching to stay in the space, stay in technology, stay in digital, still stay in sport, move to a bigger city. Um, and that kind of led me to Strava. It was in many ways very similar to the group I had started working with at Nike, a small kind of mid-stage startup that still felt really, really entrepreneurial, but was really grounded in technology. Um, And San Francisco is a city that I thought and felt and now even feel more passionate about staying here and living here forever. So I was really just fortunate. I applied for a job as a product marketer at the time um, and got an interview. And a couple weeks later, was like, all right, I guess I'm making this move. Um, drove my car down to San Francisco from Portland um, and started the day after Halloween. Uh, and being at Strava is awesome. It's uh, still pretty mid-staged. It's about 120 people. Most of us are based here in San Francisco. So it still feels really, you know, agile and innovative and exciting and small, but we're still doing really big things. Strava has tens of millions of users around the world, um, and it's really cool to see kind of this 
uh, relatively small, super passionate group of employees come together and work on something that we are all really passionate about. We're all, you know, obsessed with the product of itself and we blend sport into our lives and the culture of Strava. Um, so it's just really, really fun to, to be in a space where everyone is just as passionate about their work as they are sport as a lifestyle. So here's how I picture a day in the life of a Strava employee going. You wake up and go for a run or a ride. Then you go to work where you and your coworkers talk about your run or your ride. Then at lunch, you do it again. Then you kind of like, <laughs> how do you, I'm just picturing all these like-minded people and all these superstar athletes working together. How do you get any work done? I, I feel like we would just constantly be talking about our runs and our rides and our goals and our training. So tell me a little bit about what, it, what the culture is like at Strava. There is, there is a lot of that, you know, and uh, there's one of the things I've always loved about working at sports related companies is that you don't have to feel guilty about, you know, taking off at noon for a lunch run or, you know, running to work and, you know, leaving at four because you want to go get a Pilates workout in. Um, it's really integral to our culture. We actually have five different values at Strava. And the second one is balance. And the idea around it is that there's always time for a run or a ride or a workout. And it's a company where FaceTime is not nearly as, ma as, as important as the trust that everybody places with each other that you're going to get your work done. You know, I think the other thing is like a lot of work kind of happens on the run or a ride or a workout or a yoga class. You know, you're kind of talking about ideas with someone. Um, you're like, oh, yeah, what if we worked on that? What about that? You know, have you thought about it that way? So there's because it's such a strong culture of you know, people spending time together doing activities, there's often a lot of kind of multitasking that happens on those activities. Sweat working. Um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's also a culture where people are doing all sorts of different things. It's not like we've got a bunch of pro athletes here. We've got people that are cyclists, runners. We've got a guy who's like really into bodybuilding. We have, you know, people that are avid walkers. So it's a place that no matter, everyone's passionate about moving for sure, but um, there's a lot of different ways that we blend that into our lifestyles. We do have like weekly workouts that people can join. So we have a Wednesday weekly workout of the week. We have a monthly company ride and run. We have yoga a couple times a week at the office. Um, so it's, it's really cool because it's, it's definitely a part of our culture and it's not unusual for someone to show up to a meeting, you know, in their bike outfit or just fresh from a run. It's something that is just totally woven into how we operate here. Do you need an intern? Can I be your intern? <laughs> <laughs> any day, any day. It's funny. I, we're hiring a couple of different marketing jobs and I posted them on my Facebook and I got so many comments, especially from people in New York. Like, are you guys hiring a New York office? I would totally do this. <laughs> yeah. People are dying to work with you and with Strava and, um, there's a little part of me, as much as I love being freelance and love what I do, every time you post one of the jobs, I'm kind of like, ooh, and then I remember, well, Brian's company is here, yeah. so we're never leaving. But also, I've never been to San Francisco, so if you do need an intern, I'll come intern for you for a week if I can sleep on your couch or your floor. Oh, you are always welcome on my couch, um, anytime. I will, you know, I'm going to note that down and figure okay. out, like, the best one-week internship. <laughs> That'll be amazing. I will work so hard. You'll you'll be so impressed. Um, so what are the other, you said there are five values 
at Strava and you mentioned balance. What are the other four? Sure. They are, we call them our ABCs. Um, they, the first one is authenticity. So this is about really being authentic to our sport and the athletes we serve. Strava, first and foremost, we, we think of our company as designed for athletes, built by athletes, and we always want to keep the athlete at the center. And so that's where the authenticity comes into play. B, as I mentioned, is balance. Um, there's a lot of other tech companies in the Bay Area that are you know, work first, work second, work third, family and personal, you know, after that. Strava kind of flips that notion on its head. We really don't want to be the culture or the company that has employees working here until 10 o'clock at night and overnights and weekends. It's a company that we want to be around for the long haul and we want our employees to be really happy and build great relationships with with each other and, and work here for a really long time. And balance is so important to um, our our culture, and that's why it's like the second value. It's we just don't want to turn into one of those Silicon Valley companies that turns employees out because they overwork them. Um, the third one is craftsmanship. This is about the effort that we put into the work we do, be it a design, be it a block of code that is going to help ship a mobile release be it a marketing initiative. And it's not necessarily about perfection. It's about having this um, really kind of thoughtful approach to what we build and always being um, thinking about kind of approaching our work like a craftsman, thinking about the details. Um, so that's, that's the third value. Uh, the fourth value is commitment. And this is really about a lot of teamwork and, and kind of signing up to do something and then really giving it your all. Um, and that's commitment, you know, it's, it's to each other, it's to your work, it's to the company. And the fifth one is camaraderie. And that, again, goes back to, I think, even some of the values related to balance. We operate as a team here. And one of the things that has made Strava so successful over the years is that there is a really strong bond and relationships amongst the employees. It's not a top-down culture. You don't do things because your boss or your manager or the VP wants you to do it. Um, there's this kind of culture inside of Strava where you do things because you feel accountable to the athletes you serve and to your teammates. And that notion of camaraderie is really, really important to how we operate. Okay. So now I'm definitely coming in and interning for you <laughs> and I'm going to gun for a couple of those full-time jobs and just be like, sorry, Brian, we're moving to San Francisco. Hopefully we like it. You guys would love it here. It's a very dog-friendly city. See, everyone knows my priorities. I love that. They're like, oh, yeah, maybe you would be happy, Ellie, but Ellie would love it. And, the and that is... The weather here is also awesome for athletes. You can basically ride, run, do whatever you want outdoors all year long. So. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous of that. I am not... Um, I mean, I shouldn't complain. It's like 70 degrees here right oh, now. Oh, wow. But it... You know, winters. I just don't like winter. I'm, I hate being cold. So maybe I'll just start summering in uh, in San Francisco and working for you, and then I'll come back to Brian and Ellie, and we'll we'll figure out the details. Um, so, what exactly does being a local marketing director entail? Like, what what are you working on every day? Sure, I have the good fortune of working on so many different things, wearing a lot of different hats, but ultimately my charter as well as um, my team's charter is to help grow Strava's brand awareness and ultimately our user base in North America. So I manage kind of North America. We're really focused on the U.S. right now. And then even more focused on a couple of, you know, cities within the U.S. 
but we, as part of the brand marketing team, we're really focused on what we call top of the funnel growth and awareness. So how do we make more athletes aware of what Strava is and why we think they should um, try it out? Um, and that's a lot of what we focus on. So how we do that um, is by it's primarily a lot of partnerships. So we work with large partners, small partners, uh, events, organizations, um, athletes on the ground, teams, and we figure out how we can work together in a way that helps their organization as well as helps Strava. What's amazing about what I do is I'm not trying to sell anyone anything. I'm not trying to get them to buy anything. Um, it's really about getting them excited about Strava and helping them understand how we think Strava could help them out, help their, you know, give them more inspiration, give them more motivation. Um, and one of the challenges we face, though, is because we are not owned by a large footwear apparel company, we don't have a lot of product. We're still um, a small-ish in terms of employee base um, and independent digital app. We don't have retail stores. We don't have a lot of physical stuff. So a lot of what we're trying to do is how do we make something that is otherwise digital and invisible on your phone, um, something that you're aware of physically and or digitally in that matter. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique challenge we have because all of our main, you know, I, I don't like to call them competitors. I would call them compliments. Um, a lot of the other apps out there, um, ultimately, they're owned by a much, 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 much larger company that has a lot of other resources in terms of retail stores or owned events, um, gear that they can use to help you know, market their application. Um, we are often thinking about creative ways to um, help serve athletes uh, more directly. And that's a lot of what I focus on here. So my days, everything from um, talking to Allie about a podcast to coming up with plans for how we might activate at, um, you know, events. Like I was just on a meeting about how we're going to show up at the Red Hook Crit and the Boston Marathon. Um, coming up with different Facebook campaigns around, you know, how we might uh, come up with advertising or messaging, um, how we partner with athletes on the ground. Um, it's literally everything under the sun, and I love every second of it. Um I'm glad you just mentioned the five hook crit, the red hook crit, because I need to put that on my calendar. Last year was my first year going, and I, first of all, it was Ellie's first time at a race. It was her first bike race. So the red hook crit, for anyone who doesn't know, it's, I should probably let you explain, but it's a whole series, and the red hook event in Brooklyn is, there's a 5K race, there's a women's 5K, there's a men's 5K, and then there's the bike races, which is the the criterium and it is high speed bike racing on fixed gear bikes. Am I botching the description of this right now? No, you did okay. it way better than I could have. <laughs> um, so I actually went last year, Brian used to go with his cycling teammates. He doesn't ride. He, he's a road racer, not fixed gear bikes, but he used to always go and watch. And this year I was actually covering it for work. I was writing about it for men's journal. And so I got to go and like interview a bunch of the competitors um, so if you're in the area, if you're in the Brooklyn area, come to the Red Hook Crit. Do you know the dates off the top of your head? I believe it's April 30th. It's the last Saturday in April. Um, and it, or it might be April 29th this year. Um, but it's that last Saturday. It's right on, um, the Red Hook kind of cruise terminal overlooking the Statue of Liberty. It is probably one of 
my fate, you know, one of the other questions you were like, what's your favorite race? That was definitely one of my favorite races. I'm not a 5k runner. Um, and I'm definitely not like someone who gets excited about running fast five times around a crit, but it was the whole experience was so unique. Um, and I really love the spirit of the event and the history of it. So the event director, David Trimble started it about 10 years ago. This is actually gonna be the 10th anniversary of the event in Brooklyn. And David started it 10 years ago as a birthday party. He was like, kind of got some of his cycling buddies around and, you know, some of them had fast bikes. Some of them had like, you know, not so fancy uh, fixed gear bikes. And so he was like, why don't we race around Red Hook? And 10 years later, that's become this global series. They have events, three other events every year in Barcelona, Milan, and London. And it's just, it's cool because it still feels very kind of local and grassroots. And yeah, underground. A, it was so it, like, there were so many people there. And I was kind of like, I feel like no one like knows we're here. And they do. It's very much, I don't know what the official sanctions and all that are, but I mean, it's, it's very big, but it feels so intimate. And like, it was like being at an underground dance battle. Oh, that's, that's a great analogy. And really. maybe, maybe we could talk to David about having a dance battle, like category added. Cause I feel like that fits right into the cycling and the running. Let's battle it out. Like step up style. I think you would, t you should pitch that. You should bring them on your show, Allie. Okay, then we'll do that <laughs> next. Um, well, good. Then hopefully I will see you. Will you be racing it again this year? I think so. It won't be, you know, we'll be working most of the event. But last year I worked too and was like, I don't care. I'm definitely racing this. And it doesn't matter about how, doesn't matter how fast or slow you go. It, you just get into the rhythm. And it, it was such a neat experience to do that. Yeah. And you can say that because you are very fast. I was watching because part of me, I was like, I would love to run it this year. And I just picture myself because it's the five laps of this course, I would literally get lapped five times. And I'm, you know, obviously speed is relative and I can, I can throw down an okay for me 5k, but the girls running it, the women, I'm sorry, the women running it were so fast. Like it, it was so cool to watch. So maybe I'll race it one year. We'll see. That said, I don't want to intimidate people about the event. It's oh, no, it's so good. Everyone, you know, gives it their all. I got, I mean, I think I got lapped too, or almost got lapped. But it was a race where, yes, there's definitely kind of the fast people at the beginning running like 18-minute 5Ks. Um, but there are, there were several women who were, you know, towards the back. And they were just, they were equally, were giving it their all. And people were still out there cheering and oh, just as yeah. excited when the last person finished as they were when the first, which is, one of the other reasons I really love the event. Yeah, my friend um, Lisa ran it last year. She yeah. had run the Bear Mountain uh, North Face Relay right. that morning and then came to Brooklyn to run the 5K that night. And, you know, her legs at this point were trash. I feel like she had just done, like, a 50-mile ultra or something, too. Like, she, you know, her legs were definitely hurting, but she ran with the biggest smile on her face. Like, I think she ran really well, too, and, like, did not care if she was getting lapped, was just so happy. And I remember her after saying that was the funnest race I've ever done. So if you are considering it, time, not a factor, just go do it because everyone just was having the time of their life. So I recommend going and cheering, if not going and racing. Definitely. And Strava will be out there this year if that's any more motivation to come. <laughs> yeah. And I should clarify, this is in no, this episode is in no way like sponsored by Strava. I just love it. And Mega and I, we met 
what, two years ago in person, finally, I think you were like, over pancakes. Yeah, we went to, (laughs) we went to Sarah Beth's. I was pretty new to freelancing then. Um, And I was like, yeah, I can totally grab breakfast at like 1030 in the morning on a Tuesday. And we met uh, at Sarah Beth's right off Central Park. And we got breakfast. And that was the start of this wonderful friendship. And now I'm just obsessed with Strava and following your training, which I want to talk about. So we haven't even touched on you as a runner. And that is obviously very important because that is a huge part of your life. Tell me a little bit about how you started running. And before I even get into this, I'll brag for you. Mega is a sub three marathoner, multiple times sub three marathoner. And when you ran uh, CIM, I don't know what year that was, but you ran like an 18 minute PR, didn't you? Um, I think one of, I've run CIM like eight times now. So my PR is still CIM. That was a long time ago. I'm not as fast anymore, but, um, that was like back in 2008. It was, it was a, it was a couple minutes, but I've definitely, the, I mean, the first time I broke three, it was a 20 minute PR, yeah. which was really, which was pretty fun. So how did you start running? Have you always been a runner? Um, since I was a teenager, but the way I started running was kind of funny. Um, I had played sports like in grade school, but like just kind of a random smattering of sports. My parents put us in swimming and tennis and ice skating. And then in middle school, you know, we didn't, you know, you, you want to kind of do the sports that are related to your school, not necessarily the ones that like your parents are shuttling to you, shuttling you to on weekends. And so I was just like, sure, I'll try out for stuff. Um, so I was like, I was literally trying out for everything, like for soccer, for, for track and cross country. So I show up for the track and cross country um, tryouts and literally have like never really run before. I had no idea what the difference was between high jump and long distance and hurdles. So I literally like started just putting my name down for all the different events. So I signed up to go do the hurdles. Now I'm five, I'm probably like five foot one. I'm still about that height, sadly. And um, the hurdles are set up on a blacktop in the parking lot because the school doesn't have a track. I've never done a hurdle before. The first one, I completely, I hit my, hit the wrong leg. I got in the hurdle. I go like just completely fall face down onto the floor, um, snapped my jaw, got like 19 (sighs) stitches, broke four of my teeth, um, ended up being like fine, had to get stitches, had to get my teeth fixed and everything. Um, But then I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not a hurdler. Let me do something that's going to be the least possible impact. I was like, I'm going to sign up for long distance and cross country. Um, and so that's really how I got into running. And then I just started loving it. You know, I loved, I think more than anything, I loved a, the break from academics, like when you're running and I think I felt this then and still do now, no matter what else you have on your mind at the time, it was like what papers you had to write or what book reports you had to do. I didn't think about any of that when I was running. I had to focus so much on the sport and be it the pain or the pleasure that there was no room in my brain for any of the stress, any of the noise from school or family or anything else. And I cherished that. Um, And I loved just the camaraderie of it. I got to be with people um, that I didn't have class with and meet different people. And, And I think that I then continued to run through high school and I ran kind of on the side in college, definitely not for a collegiate team. 
but my sister, who was never a runner, ran her first marathon when I was a freshman in college. And I was like, if she, she's not even a runner, if she ran a marathon, I'm going to run a marathon. Um, so she kind of inspired me to run, to strain for a marathon. And, um, and I really got obsessed with kind of the long distance, um, training process and have kind of stuck to long distance ever since. So I'm 30, almost 35 now, um, still running almost every day and still do it primarily because it's like this amazing break from the rest of your life. See, this is what I picture life at Strava like, is just having <laughs> these conversations all day. Um, so We're so lucky, you know. I think it, you do get to think and talk about running all the time. At the end of the day, it's still a job. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be honest. I'm like, I don't want to think about running. I don't want to hang out with runners. I don't want to run. I don't want to talk about running. Um, but I'm fortunate to have those times where I'm so overloaded with, it's not just running, it's sport in general, but mm -hmm. it's a huge part of my lifestyle. It's a huge part of um, I think a lot of the people that even you know and the people you hang out with, it's just the way you organize your life um, because being active and the choices you make in order to have that lifestyle are really important in how you end up structuring your days and your weeks. Is it a hard place to be if you are injured working at Strava and being surrounded by all that? Because I know when I'm sick, as much as I love my Strava, like if I'm sick, I have to not look because seeing what everyone else is doing is really hard for me. And that's, you know, that's a weakness that I have and I shouldn't feel that way, but it's hard not to. Um, have you been through a time since you've worked there where you've either been injured or sick or otherwise sidelined? Um, and what's that like going to work at such an active place? I've definitely been injured since I've been here. Um, luckily, nothing major, but definitely times when I've, be it by choice or by force, I've taken weeks off. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with Strava. I think it has everything to do with the athlete mentality. It doesn't matter whether you work at Strava or not. It's hard to be injured. And I don't mm -hmm. think being at a place where there's a lot of sports around you makes it harder or easier. It just is hard to be injured. Um, but I think we all deal with it in different ways. I actually find it really helpful to be in a place where there's people understand, people empathize. And, and I think that's really helpful. Ultimately though, it's still a job. It's not like we just come here and like, um, puts around all day. There are people writing code. There are people designing things. There are, you know, we're negotiating sponsorship agreements and partnerships. So as much as it's amazing to work in and around sport at the end of the day, what we're doing is a job. So in some ways, like being, doing something active with your brain helps take mm. all of this, the attention off the fact that you might be injured or sick. And so when I come to work, it's kind of like, I'm here to work, you know, and I'm not necessarily thinking about my workouts or my training or, cause it's, it's still a job at the end of the day. Um, I also think, you know, Strava has been a great place for me to, as, as an athlete now, not necessarily as a, as an employee, um, log the things I'm doing while I'm injured. And so if I'm pool running or if I'm walking to work and if I'm doing, you know, yoga or Pilates or whatever, um, I can still put that on Strava. And I mean, everybody uses Strava a little bit differently. One of the things I love most about it is the social motivation. I love when people give me kudos and comments on my big workouts or, and I loved getting those when I was doing, you know, the things, um, the activities I was participating in when I was, when I was injured too. And you, there's other, the other thing is like, you realize that there's other people out there who are injured who are like, Oh my gosh, you're pool running. Let's, let's go do that together. So that has actually really, really 
helped me not feel so alone while I'm injured. I love that. You have such a good perspective and I need to learn from that because that's something that I struggle with. So I like, I'm going to keep that in mind for, you know, I'm sure there will be a time again that I'm sidelined for whatever reason. And I will think about you and think of all the positives because that's obviously a better way to go about it. Um, so are you training for anything right now? I am actually, uh, I got a last minute entry to the Boston marathon. So I'm going to run that in seven weeks or so. Uh, I was like super lucky to get an entry like three or four weeks ago. And I was like, all right, guess I got to start training. Yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> uh, when was your most recent marathon? I ran the California international marathon in December. So you're, you're coming into it with a solid base and you run on an average week. Can you tell me a little bit about whether you're training or kind of in the off season, if you have an off season, you run pretty high mileage. Can you tell me a little bit about what your general training mentality is like? I do. I've always been a slightly higher mileage runner. Um, I'm someone who I can run at a good clip for a long time. I can't run super fast. Like I can't run like sprints and like fast five K's probably also because this is what I've been doing for so long. Um, but right now I'm running around like 60 to 70 miles a week. Um, so that's usually like a track workout on Tuesdays. I am part of an all women's racing team here in San Francisco. So we do, um, track workouts every Tuesday night and it's great cause we'll have a team. We'll have a group of like 50, 60 women out there. And then um, I'll do a long run over the weekend. And that's usually kind of the, the bulk of my training and like pretty easy days in between. Um, I've recently gotten really into Pilates. So I've been doing a lot more reformer Pilates as well. And that's been a great complement to strength and just working on the muscles that I think we neglect a lot as runners, hamstrings, glutes core. Um, and it's, it's really fun too. It's really humbling as an athlete to do a workout that you kind of suck at. Um, and that hurts and it's really hard and it, it gets you out of your comfort zone in all the right ways. Yeah. I love following, um, all of your Pilates workouts on, on Strava, which I can, again, I sound like an ad here, but, um, <laughs> I do always love seeing that because it motivates me that I'm like, okay, she, you know, like if you're doing it as your second workout of the day, I'm like, all right, she ran this morning, she worked all day and now she's at Pilates. Like I can do that too. I can carve out however, you know, this amount of time to work on my neglected body parts that will make me a, a better runner. Because I did on Monday, I was with my friend, we were in Utah and it was like 60 mile an hour winds outside in the mountains. And I was like, I'll get blown off the mountain. This is not safe. So she was like, let's just do a home workout together. And so she's, you know, walking me all these things through all these things she does with her trainers. And we did a bunch of squats. I probably have not done a squat in, I don't know, two years. My hamstrings are still sore. That was Monday. Today is Friday. I think I'm broken because I did some squats. Know, the first 20 years, I feel that way too. Sometimes I'll do like body weight squats. I'll do like 20 squats and I'm like, oh my gosh, why can I not feel my inner thighs the next day? Yeah, but if you and, want, I can go out and I could probably run 15 miles tomorrow. Right. No problem. One thing I used to do last year um, was I had this five minute kind of post run routine I would do. It literally only took five minutes and it was a combination of like 20 push-ups, 20 um, standing like body weight squats, a couple like hamstring exercise, and then finish again with uh, a plank and 20 more push-ups. 
And the beauty of it, it was you could literally put anything in there, but it was it, I had this mental timer of five minutes. Of course, I can. I'll probably check my Instagram for five minutes after a run. Like, why don't I just like do something? And and doing it every day really helped. Like, I didn't have that like achiness after I did a couple squats anymore. And that's a good way to fit something small in, but just be like, it's five minutes. Of course, I can do five minutes, you know. And just like get in the habit of adding that in. Uh, a couple times a week after your runs. That's so good. I need to do that. And we should all do that. Everyone that's listening, let's all make a pact to be like mega and do five minutes a day of things to take care of ourselves. I love it. I'm committed. All right. All in. Um, so how do you fit in? What what type of mileage? What will you peak at before Boston? I'll probably peak at what I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't have any intention of doing much more than 70 miles a week. Um, and I, and to be clear and to be frank, I don't run that much because I think you need to run that much in order to run a fast marathon. Frankly, the first time I ever broke three, um, this was maybe 10, 12 years ago now. Um, my prior PR was a three seventeen, and I, I didn't really even know kind of how to train properly and how to run properly. Um, but my highest mileage week before that marathon, it was Boston marathon back in like 2005 or 2006, um, was 58 miles. And most of my weeks were in the high forties. And so you don't have to run a lot of miles to run a fast marathon. I run because it's like sanity. I always say I run cause it's cheaper and healthier than Prozac. Um, I run because it's time that I spend with my friends. It's time I spend outside. I love running and I probably would be better if I didn't run as many miles. Um, so definitely not trying to advocate that you should run a certain amount of miles. Every body is different. Right. I've been fast when I ran 30 miles a week. I've been fast when I ran 90 miles a week and I've been slow at either end of the spectrum too. So you really, the, I think that the, it's always helpful to hear about what other people are doing, but ultimately you have to focus on yourself and you have to be confident in, yeah, I'm going to take this rest day and I am only going to run 12 miles as my long run and not 15 because I know that's what my body needs. And I'm as guilty of not always following my own advice, but I can't stress that enough. You really have to be inspired by other people, but ultimately bring it back to what is going to work with you and your body and not have that like, peer running pressure of, well, this is what everyone else is doing. You know, you just got to do what you got to do a, what you think is right. And then B on the day of what feels right. You know, there are days you might want to go do a workout and your body's like, Nope, not going to happen today. And you got to be like, all right, cool. I'm going to go home, have a beer and a pizza and go to bed and <laughs> try again some other time. And that's totally okay. I love that. And I feel like a couple years ago, I remember so many people started mocking the phrase, listen to your body, because it was just everywhere. It was like every blogger, influencer, magazine article was preaching, listen to your body. And it kind of came like a, became a joke, but it is the best thing you can do. I don't care if it sounds cheesy, like being able to tune in. And like you said, if you have a workout on tap and your legs are just not happening, there's a difference between like, oh, I need to learn to run on tired legs and like, no, my body is saying I need to not do this today. And it can be hard to listen to. It can be. I think that's the hardest thing. It can be really hard to be like, to, you know, to throw in the towel and go home. But like, ultimately, you know, inside, you know, when you should push through, you know, when you're like, my body's just not warmed up yet. Or like, yeah, I might not be running the paces, but I'm still going to finish. And like, I remember last summer, I was having a really hard time. My body just felt, it, it literally like it went from 
being able to run 7.30 is no problem to all of a sudden one day I would get out and I could like barely run 9, 9.30 pace and I was hyperventilating and I was like, this is just not a good sign. And I just took a couple weeks off and like came back and felt much better. And you just, you just got it only, you know, inside when, yeah. when it's time to kind of either dial it up or scale it back. It's almost like runners. We have that little, um, you know, like a little evil runner sitting on our shoulders sometime who's like, oh, it's okay that it hurts. Run through it anyway. You know, like that Kermit the Frog meme that was going around with like yeah. the mean Kermit. It's like we kind of have that because we want to do it. And uh, it sounds like you have a really good perspective, which is awesome and admirable. So things we can all learn from. One of the other stories I often remember when I'm injured or when I'm like, you know, just wanting to take a day off or whatever is that Joan Benoit Samuelson, who's like my running idol, in 1984, I believe, she won the Olympic trials three weeks after having arthroscopic knee surgery. So the woman obviously had to take off. She was obviously in great shape. Um, but rest is not your enemy. Um, I probably need to take away more rest than I do. But I think we're, we're always so laser focused on the day of like, oh my gosh, I didn't run or I didn't get my workout in or I didn't do. But, you know, your body's actually heals and gets faster on the days you're going slower and resting. And I always think back of Joan Benoit Samuelson took three weeks um, after surgery and still came back after the rest and all the rehab she did. Everybody would benefit and, and can be just fine. Won't lose any fitness after some time off. Love that. So when you're running around 70 miles a week, how are you fitting all of that in? Are you running... Um, you know, around 10 miles every day? Are you doing doubles? Are you like eating dinner at midnight? Or what does that look like? <laughs> sure, I do mostly singles um, throughout the week. Um, I have like one long run, like today I did my, uh, I love doing Friday long runs. So today I did my long run this morning. So I did 20 miles, started not super early at like 6.15 in the morning. But one of the tricks I have is I run commute a lot. I am fortunate enough to be able to run into work and end my runs here. And so I take a time-saving hack I have is you basically obliterate the hour it would otherwise take me to take the train or ride my bike into work. And I just finished my run here. Um, logistically, what that involves is I have two laptops. I have one at work and then I have a personal computer at home. Um, and then like one day a week, I'll bring in, you know, a couple of outfits um, so that I've got them all ready for me at work. Um, and it's only, if I went directly, it's only four and a half miles, but I can always make a lot of different loops to get here, but it's a huge, I don't run commute every day, but it's a great time saving hack. And then I can like, you know, take the train or, um, you know, find my way back home. Um, that's one great hack. The only double I usually do is on Tuesdays. So if we do a track workout in the evening, I'll run into work in the morning. So it'll be like four, four and a half miles easy on the way in. It's also all downhill to work. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty easy way to like, I wake up and I'm like, fine, I'll just roll down the hill into work. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Best commute ever. It, totally. And that's why I never run commute home. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I usually just run in. <laughs> nice. Um, what is, so you have showers at work, I assume. We do. And no yeah. judgment if you don't. I mean, I am all about that, like, grungy post-run life. I was just curious. We do have showers in our building. We live, um, we live, sometimes I feel like we live here. We work in a cool building near the ballpark in San Francisco. And there's a lot of, like, startups here, big and small. Actually, Wired is in our building as well, so they're not a startup. But um, we all kind of share 
bathrooms and showers in the building and we get a towel service. So, and it's, you know, it's like, it's almost a necessity at Strava because so many people at Strava don't have cars, don't drive into work because we, it's, it's pretty, it's not impossible to park here, but it's not necessarily the most economical thing you could do. Um, so a lot of people run, ride, or otherwise actively trans, transport themselves to work. So the showers are, are really, it's a great employee perk. Yeah, that's super nice. Um, one thing I'm really interested in as, I guess I would call myself a relatively new Strava user. I've been using it for about a year and a half now. Um, I am very fascinated by user behavior and I'm wondering if you, and I'm totally putting you on the spot here. I should have let you prepare. Um, do you have any cool stories about user behavior in terms of like in the US or, or globally? Like what are some of the most popular routes or are people, um, I know that like Strava art is a big thing. People running really cool routes so that uh, when it shows up on their Strava map, it's like a giraffe or um, <laughs> do you have any cool stories or things that stand out that users have done that you're like, that makes us really special or I loved that thing that person did on the run? Oh, there's so many, but yes, let me, let me see if I can talk about a couple. The Strava art is this hilarious phenomenon. People love Strava art. I think it's kind of cheesy, but it's still this remarkable display of using turning your activity map into a piece of art um there's so many different versions of it probably my favorite one is a friend of mine his name is gene Liu. you should give him a follow on strava he lives in portland and he does all these awesome strava arts that are like star wars themed so he's got like princess leia and like they're just really really intricate and he, all, he runs them all there's people that ride them too and i'll run them like pretty fast like around these like intricate blocks in um, Portland, um, they're, they're, and they're very well done, like very intricate. He did one, um, around the election that was in the shape of Obama, which was pretty cool. What? Uh, it was pretty, yeah, he's, he's pretty committed to it. <laughs> I couldn't even draw that. Like I, the best thing I draw is a stick figure and it's not even very good. The proportions are way off. So the fact that people can go out and make art with their running or riding routes to me, like, Sure, maybe it can be cheesy. I think it's so cool. I love it. It is, it is I mean, because you have to think about, like, the planning that it yeah. takes to do those. And you're really thinking about, like, where in the city is it going to enable you to make this line or make this curve? There's this guy in San Francisco every year around Thanksgiving. He does this. It's like a 60 or 70-mile ride in the shape of a turkey. <laughs> and, like, all the feathers and the beak. Wow. Like, like very intricate. I'll have to find uh, these so I can link to all of them in the show notes because I'll, we need I'll to spread you, the word. I'll send you some of them. They're they're pretty good. Um, there's like that's one interesting one we've done. So on the routes, we actually just did an analysis of like some of the most popular routes in in um, in the U.S. and some of the findings are pretty. Um, surprising. Like in New York, for example, what would you think the most popular route is? So I think I saw this. I, w I would say it was Central Park, but was it Prospect Park? It was actually Prospect Park. Right, which is in Brooklyn, for those not familiar. Central Park is what everyone knows. It has the big six-mile loop and all those smaller ones. It's in Manhattan. People come from all over to run in Central Park. It's where the marathon finishes. Prospect Park is great. Prospect Park is in Brooklyn. So yeah, I just wouldn't think it was as popular. But where, so was it way above Central Park? It was, I think it had, we had more people that had run Prospect Park than we had Central. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. 
Um, obviously, Central Park is going to be really popular too. But it, we were surprised that Prospect Park had bigger numbers than. Yeah. Park. And like in in San Francisco, um, I think the more popular route was the Embarcadero, um, which is the kind of the flat area that goes throughout downtown all the way to Fisherman's Wharf. And it was not Golden Gate Park, which is our version of Central Park. So some of the, it was just kind of interesting to see like what is the most talked about isn't necessarily the most popular. Mm-hmm. What was um, the most popular route in the U.S.? Do you remember? Oh, I don't think we did it. Oh, it no. Sorry, I'm, I'm like asking you to pull data. I'm like, no, no, you could just okay. enter a quick code. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. I, you know, we pulled them by city. And okay. so I can't remember what it was um, overall. But it was, it's a good question. I should actually memorize that. <laughs> Or when I when you hire me as your intern, I'll do that. That can be an assignment yes, that you exactly, can do. Exactly. Awesome. awesome. Uh, what are some awesome. other some other interesting like user behaviors we found? Um, so last year we launched this feature. Um, actually, about two years now we launched this feature called Matched Runs, and the whole idea around it was drawing off the insight that a lot of people do the same exact route every single day. Um, they run Central Park. They run you know there's the same five mile loop from their house, mm-hmm. and what we do on Strava is then we can. When, when we've noticed that you've done the same loop multiple times, we'll just let you know, hey, we've done this, you've done this loop two times, three times, ten times, a hundred times, and you can see your performances over time. So it's just a nice little like motivating tool. And we found that something like 60% of runners had done at least one, had, had done at least one route multiple times. Um, so it's really kind of uh, validating this insight that runners are creatures of habit, um, which was no, it's something we all know, but then when you see the mm-hmm. data, it's kind of, yep, that, that makes sense. Yeah, guilty yeah. as charged. Yeah, likewise. Um, so you are someone who you work a lot, you run a lot, you are good about cross-training. How do you feel, because like you said, one of the, the goals at Strava is to achieve balance. Do you feel that you have a solid balance in your life? I always feel like I could be doing more and I always feel like I should be doing less. So it's like, um, but ultimately, yes, I do have, it's not work that is, you know, the cause of any source of um, stress per se. It's that you want to be doing all of the things and there are so many things to take advantage of. But I think number, I'm just someone who, I'm not someone who can work 80 hours a week. I prioritize like my workout, my sleep, eating well, and then I'll think about working. Like those three things are most important to me. And it's been that way since college. I remember I would be the one that would like get seven hours of sleep at night while everybody was like up till three o'clock finishing a paper. And I was like, listen, I need to sleep. I need to like eat well and make sure I'm not like, you know, working so hard that I don't have time to cook or just eat crap takeout. Um, Because I am of the mindset that if your body and mind are healthy and balanced, then you can work better. Um, so I've always prioritized like health and feeling good. That said, I definitely need more sleep most days. Um, I do feel balanced. I always have the opportunity to be more balanced, but I find different things throughout the year to focus on, to pull me away from both running and work things that exercise different parts of my brain. So for example, I signed up for a photography class. I just finished it. Um, it was like a five-week class, like totally basic, but learned how to use my camera. Um, and that just pulled me out of a lot of the traditional patterns I would otherwise fall in. Um, I recently became a Pilates instructor. So same type of thing, like 
not around, still definitely fitness related, but something that it is outside of my usual pattern. For me, it's just about breaking my patterns. I have to like continually remind myself to break the wake up, run, go to work, eat dinner, go to sleep, repeat. And I have to, because I'm not someone who will like force, like naturally do it. I have to find different things to commit to <laughs> classes, yeah. events, you know, trainings. And then that's how I end up finding the balance in my life. That is so cool. Well, congratulations on becoming a Pilates instructor and using and learning how to use your camera. That is also very exciting, but that's so fun. Um, did you, do you have the intention now of teaching or were you like, I just want to get certified kind of thing? Yeah, I definitely wanted to teach. So this is the studio that I've been hooked on now for about six months. It's called Body Rock here in San Francisco. It's reformer Pilates. Um, so yeah, we've, I finished up my training about a week or two ago and just taught my first real classes last week. That's so exciting. Uh, yeah, it is. It's really cool. And you know, I love, because my day job is a lot of sitting behind my computer. Um, I definitely get to do, you know, talk to a lot of people and be out in the field. But for me, what I loved about the idea of becoming a Pilates instructor is I'm away from my screen I don't have my phone with me and I'm not in front of a computer. I'm out there helping athletes and interacting. And I just love that component of it's still very fitness related. And I love being in the health and wellness and fitness industry, but it's not, it's people oriented, not computer oriented. Right. Were you nervous to teach your first class? Oh my gosh. I was so nervous. And 10 minutes into my first class, I'm already teaching. It's only a 40 minute uh, class, but 10 minutes in, the owner of the studio walks in and he's, he's amazing. I love him. But then he like sits himself down on a machine and starts doing the workout. And I was oh, no like, pressure. Oh no pressure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it went fine. It was good to get the first couple under my belt and um, I'll start teaching more regularly now. That's so exciting. I love that. I went through a phase of thinking that I want, I was like, I kind of want to go through yoga teacher training just cause I was like, I had just done like a 40 day yoga challenge and I was loving it. And I was like, I think I could be really good at this. And I, you know, I never pursued it. But from time to time in the living room, I will teach yoga to Brian. And I imagine <laughs> that I'm teaching to a class. And he's, you know, he's a good student. He complains a lot. But um, he's pretty good at yoga. So, all right, when I come visit, I'm going to come take your class. We're, our schedule is getting pretty packed for this visit. So I know. I know. Internship, Pilates, running yeah. and cycling. And I want to run over the bridge. I feel like that. I've never Definitely. run over the Golden Gate Bridge. So, all right, we have a pretty busy itinerary, but I will make time to pull whatever data you need. Or um, <laughs> I won't even make you do work. We'll just putz around San Francisco for a week. <laughs> Deal. Um, though, let's reiterate, Mega does work. They work at Strava. It is not just playtime. <laughs> they are getting things done. I feel like this whole time we've been like, oh, my gosh, you're fun job. And you're like, no, I, I work hard. <laughs> um, I do work hard. I do. <laughs> I know. And, and there is proof of that because you have a very good product that, Athletes love, myself included. So what I like to do at the end of the show, because I feel like I've dominated quite a bit of your time so far, is the final round is called the sprint to the finish, because again, this is a running show. So I'm going to ask you rapid fire questions that you have not previously heard, and you just have to tell me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I hope so. Okay, this this is like the finish line is in sight. So I guess if it were a 5K, you're like 800 meters out. If it's a marathon, you're like at mile 24 still. So you've got some work to do, but you're getting close. All right, 
What would your last meal on earth be? Pizza and beer. Nice. Morning or evening run? Morning. Favorite movie? Oh, probably a cocktail. I'll have to, I'm a Tom Cruise fanatic. Oh, nice. <laughs> Greatest fear? Oh, man. Greatest fear, spiders. <laughs> Favorite race you've ever run? Oh, this is so cheesy, but it's probably the Boston Marathon. I really do love that race. Uh, what year did you run? Or what year? Or are you just referring to the Boston Marathon in general? Um, the Boston Marathon in general. I've run it four times, but there's something really cool about running from Hopkins into Boston. Um, you can't, you literally like see, you, you feel yourself moving from city to city and the course is covered with crowds. Um, I've run it in good weather and bad weather and every single year I've loved it. That's awesome. I'll tell you a secret. I've never been to the Boston Marathon. I've never run it, obviously, because I've never, you know, I have no intentions of qualifying. But I've never even been to spectate, I think, because it's on a Monday. So I've never gone. But I think this year needs to be the year because I have so many, I always have so many friends running it and you're going to be running it. So I think I just need to, I need to go experience this. And it's like a hop and a skip from New York. You should definitely. And my brother lives there. I have a free place to stay. I mean, I have no excuse. So, okay. Sorry. I tripped you up on your sprint to the finish. We'll get back to it. What is the, your favorite place you've ever gone for a run? Oh, probably up in the Marin headlands. Uh, it's, it's, it's a toss up. So in Portland we run in forest park. Um, it's one of the largest urban parks in, um, the nation. And you just, you, all of a sudden you get up there. Same thing with like the Marin, Marin headlands in San Francisco. You feel like you're a world away from the city, beautiful trails, amazing views, um, yet it's really accessible. And I'm not a trail runner, but those are still like my two favorite places to run. Do you have a go-to mantra for races or tough workouts? Chill the fuck out. Nice. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) What is your favorite workout? Like your favorite running workout? Uh, My favorite workouts are like long uh, marathon workouts with like either marathon pace or just slightly slower than marathon pace built in. So I'll do like what I did this morning into like 10 easy and then 10 at like steady state or like just slower than marathon pace. So I love like long tempo marathon pace workouts. Wow. And those are my least favorite. I see those on the training plan and I'm like, oh, I better listen to my body today. And it says sleep. So good for you. Uh, what is your go-to breakfast? Um, like around, so throughout the week, I eat, so I'm like mostly vegan and generally gluten-free. So it tends to be pretty boring. But throughout the week, I have like a banana, a granola, almond butter, and some like vegan yogurt. Um, before a race or before a run, I'll have like a big vegan protein shake and oatmeal. Nice. I bought my first vegan yogurt today. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm going to try to make a dip with it because I'm experimenting with this whole no dairy thing. And I was excited to learn that vegan yogurt exists, like almond milk yogurt. My favorite brand is Kite Hill. That's what I bought. They, it's like, I've tried almost every variety and Kite Hill is my favorite. Okay. That's good because that's what I currently have in my fridge, but I'm planning on turning it into a French onion dip for potato chips. So let me put that in the show notes too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's not even homemade. I buy like the little Lipton packets that, you know, my mom would make when I was growing up and you just pour the spices into the yogurt and mix it up. So instead of sour cream. 
No one has to know, Allie. Yeah, I'll, that, you're right. I should have been like, oh, sorry, it's a family recipe, which it totally <laughs> is. It just happens to come from a bag, inside, a packet inside a box. So, um, yeah, I'll totally include that in the show notes. <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do after a long run? Oh, probably more beer and pizza. Um, definitely. Um, you know, I like definitely do some stretching and some foam rolling stuff. But like I, uh, I love getting my runs done early in the weekend so I can enjoy the rest of my weekend. I like I, so I love the feeling of it. It hangs over my head otherwise. So I love like having a great meal, hanging out with friends and just kind of chilling. I don't have the anxiety of um, getting a uh, uh, a workout in. So it, it's really like the combination of like food and friends. Probably. Yeah, I'm into that. Okay. This question is, is a big one. You're hosting a dinner party and you get to have five guests. Who are they? Oh my gosh. This is really tough and probably all pretty cliched answers. Um, I would say I love Joan Benoit Samuelson. I mentioned her earlier. I'm a huge fan of her. Um, I've met her in person. I would definitely have her at my dinner party. Um, I also, this is kind of like a little more niche, but I am also a giant fan of Mary Wittenberg. Uh, she's the current head of Virgin Sport, former CEO of um, the New York Roadrunners. Um, and she's also someone who I just draw a lot of energy and inspiration from. And I think Seeing her and Joan Benoit interact would be just classic. Um, as cliche as it, as it is, I would totally have President Obama there um, just because I think he's a really important uh, role model and figure for our generation. Um, that's three. Um, I mentioned before I'm a giant Tom Cruise fan. I would bring him. I've watched pretty much every single movie he's been in multiple times. Um, and you've got to have a movie star at your dinner party. Um, and the fifth person is I would bring my mother. She's amazing. She's fed me so many dinners over the year, uh, over the years. Um, and she's one of those people who, um, no matter who meets her, when they meet her, they instantly fall in love with her. She has this ability. She's got the warmest and deepest heart and love. And I think she would just like make everyone feel at home at my dinner party. Oh, I love that. And Everyone on this show so far has said President Obama. Really? Yeah, every single person. And it's like, and, and everyone kind of runs the gamut politically. Um, yeah. But yeah, everyone, he has so many dinner parties to go to with all of these. Uh, that sounds like it'll be a great party. And your mom does not have to cook. You can have it catered with whatever vegan and gluten-free things you want. I'll make my dip for your dinner party. Oh, excellent. Great. Oh, yeah, you're coming too. I just figured oh, you'd no. be like... Oh, I'll, I'll be behind the scenes. I'll be recording it for the show. <laughs> I'll just give you guys some some uh, talking points and I'll just let you enjoy. Bring um, the dip and disappear. That, that's your... <laughs> yes, and one of the talking points is I want Tom Cruise to open up about Scientology. So make sure that comes up at the dinner party. I'm definitely going to instigate this conversation between Obama and Cruz. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, who was your childhood crush? Oh, my gosh. There was this guy named Joe Holloway. He was this redhead. He, had, he was like a carrot. We called him Carrot Top. Um, I have no idea what he's doing now. If he's listening, Joe, I had a crush on you. <laughs> okay, well, I hope Joe's listening. And also, so who was your celebrity childhood crush? Oh, Celebrity. Oh, um, uh, why, why can't I remember his name from What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Uh, Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. And I, I was like one of the original fans. I totally just. Like before Titanic. Name, 
it was like from um, growing pains. I was yeah. with him. Um, nice. He was definitely. And then after that, it was uh, it was Joseph, Joseph Gordon um, Levitt from Third Rock from the Sun. Nice. Those two for sure. Nice. Those are good ones. Um, what was the last great thing that you purchased and would recommend to listeners? Oh my gosh. I bought the last, oh my gosh, I've bought so many great things. Okay. Something really random. Um, I bought a spiralizer, <laughs> which is this like really odd kitchen contraption that turns zucchini and other vegetables into noodles. <laughs> and I'm obsessed with it. Um, it's, is it easy? Because I will confess that I I love spiralized zucchini. I love using it and like doing like ground turkey and some just pasta sauce on top because it's easy and delicious. I call it zoodles bolognese. Yep. <laughs> um, but I totally buy the pre-zoodleized ah. zoodles from Whole Foods because they this... make them. Is the spiralizer easy? Because I just don't want to be standing there, you know, twirling a zucchini for hours. It's super easy, and I was, like, afraid it wouldn't be either. So when I bought this thing, I was like, I'm just going to buy, like, a random cheap one that I found on Amazon because if it doesn't work, I don't want to be out, like, 50 bucks on right. something that's too complicated. But I think the easier and simpler the contraption is, the less hassle it ends up being. You literally just, like, stick the zucchini in there and, like, twirl this handle, and it comes out. Um, it's probably not, like, the most ingenious contraption, but it's just kind of fun to use. I yeah, don't know. I was going to say, that does sound kind of fun and also sort of like, I don't know, meditative. Yeah, I guess there is something. It's kind of cool. Like you put, it, you kind of feel like you're making something, like a science experiment. Like you put something in and then something else comes out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, there's some like, I kind of feel like a kid doing it, I guess. Um, I guess my favorite running related recent purchase is a roll recovery uh, massage contraption thing I don't exactly know what you call them the R8 um, the, the R8 exactly yeah. it's like they have these wheels that look like inline skates and it's like the best massage and recovery tool and what I love most about it is that you can take it with you unlike a foam roller when you're traveling or you know in the car um, so it's just super handy and it's very effective I think one thing many runners can relate to is getting stopped in the security line because you're traveling with the stick and the stick, of course, is that, you you know, like, it's not a foam roller, but it rolls out your muscles. And anytime I travel to a race, I bring it with me and, like, clockwork at security. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't even know how to use this as a weapon. Like, I get you're doing your job. I respect it. Thank you for keeping me safe. But, like, I wouldn't even know how to use this maliciously. So um, the R8, have you taken it through a, an airport checkpoint yet? Yes, no hassle. Oh, see, that's mm -hmm. a good endorsement. And yeah. my last question for you in this round is, what are your top two running must-haves? Gloves. I always run with gloves. I'll be, it'll be like the middle of summer, and I'll have shorts, a sports bra, and gloves. Um, and probably compression sleeves, not compression socks, just the ones that cover your calves. Um, I wear those a lot. Um, yeah, I would think that running 20 miles before work, you would you would have to slip those on at the <laughs> office to get through the day. So awesome. Mega, I need to have you back on the show because we just talked for an hour and I feel like I barely scratched the surface with you. Well, 
Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. I loved getting to catch up. I wish I could have seen you. I like that you could see me and I couldn't see you. I made sure that I was presentable-ish. So we will have to catch up in real life sometime soon. Definitely. I'll see you in Boston, if not sooner in New York. Yes. And good luck with your training. Stay happy and healthy. And hopefully I'll be on the sidelines cheering for you. Look forward to it, Allie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Have a good weekend. You too. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much to Mega for being a guest on today's episode. And thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Again, please rate and review the show and subscribe on iTunes so we can all keep in touch and grow this community. And as always, thanks for letting me join you on the run.